Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This is episode number 133 of our newsletter, filmed or recorded on Wednesday, May 20th of 2020. Most of you who are listening to this podcast episode probably came here to hear about the May Core update. So I'm going to share some more of my thoughts with you on what we think is going on with this update. It's a really, really interesting one. And I think that not a lot of people really understand what's happening here. I don't claim to have all the answers, but we made some theories, and so far the data seems to be lining up with our theories. So I'll share those with you, and even if we're wrong, they're things that can help you to improve the quality of your website. Um, So hopefully you'll find that interesting. We've got loads of stuff to announce in terms of Google News and uh, a lot of other helpful tips as well. So let's get right into it. Um, We'll start off by talking about the Maycore update, and uh, most of you probably know that this update was launched launched by Google on May 4th. We saw the majority of impact start on May 5th. And now, May 20th, so just over two weeks later, Google has told us that the update is fully rolled out. I believe it was May 18th that Danny Sullivan tweeted that, yes, the core update has fully rolled out. Um, We think that Google maybe made some tweaks along the way. We have uh, quite a few sites that Um, saw improvement on May 5th and then saw further improvement uh, on May 11th, I believe. And there was one other day, but the dates don't really matter. Um, It seems to us, and this is pretty common with core updates, it seems to us that Google tweaked a few things. Um, Nothing major, though. And most of the sites that saw further movement uh, in the last week or so uh, are sites that uh, already were moving. So we saw some sites that were negatively affected um, by the May fourth update that saw even worse of an impact with uh, with whatever tweaks were happening. Um, so, you know, it's not my place to figure out, you know, what are the tweaks that Google is doing, but I think we can still draw a lot of conclusions from what we've seen happen already. In the premium version of our newsletter this week, uh, I've got a very long uh, write-up that sort of summarizes everybody else's posts on what they think is going on with the May core update. Uh, I'll talk about that a little bit in podcast, but um, some of it we'll leave for our, our readers because there's a, a lot of really, really interesting stuff here. Um, If you missed it, we published our own blog post on what we think the Maycore update uh, was about. Now, gone are the days where we can say like, oh yeah, sites with better page speed did better with this update, or, you know, this was completely link related, um, you know, stuff like that. We, we, we don't really have a smoking gun. Uh, in most cases, if your website was negatively affected by a core Google update now, there's a whole slew of things that could be considered quality issues. And in some cases, especially with this core update, you know how Google says like, oh, whenever we announce uh, a core update, uh, sometimes sites that don't do well, maybe it's not your fault. Maybe there's nothing that you could do, but Google's just preferring other sites. Um, We really feel like Google is uh, making better use of BERT and their understanding of language to actually do a better job at matching people's queries with the pages that uh, that you want to end up on. Um, I would say if I had to pick one word, uh, I'd struggle actually. If I had to pick two words that this update were, you know, describe this update, one of them would be relevancy. And the second is connected to relevancy, but is expertise. Now, 
We've known expertise is something that Google has been valuing for a while. We saw when uh, in February of 2017, when Google came out with an update that was not announced as a core update, it was February 7th, 2017. Um, this is where I first started seeing that uh, many websites that lost rankings were websites that lacked any expertise. So I remember one of the clients that I had at the, that time uh, was a site that gave really good information on how to get an interview, how to write a resume. Uh, and when you read the information, it, it really looked helpful. The thing was, the people who ran that site um, were not known in the business community. They were SEOs uh, who hired good content writers, um, and there was really no level of expertise in their uh, their writings. Now, that was two, actually three years ago. Gosh, almost three, over three years ago now. Where's my math? Three years ago, 2017. Um, and it's not to say that Google uh, you know, hasn't valued expertise since then. But we think that Google got even more nuanced in trying to figure out what it is that uh, people would consider expertise. One of the examples that I see people um, talking about with this core update is one of the sites that saw a nice improvement with this update is Pinterest. Now, Pinterest, I, I can get frustrated sometimes with Pinterest. You do a search for something and you're like, oh, this looks like exactly what I'm looking for. And then you click through to Pinterest and... Uh, you know, you've got to click through then to somebody else's website and often I'm not finding exactly what it is that I'm looking for there, but sometimes I do. And one of the things that I mentioned in newsletter is, uh, let's say, so a year ago, uh, we went to some sort of kids party and, uh, I'm not a very crafty person, but I thought I want to make something. We had to bring some food and I didn't want to be one of those people that just brings a bag of chips or something. You know, I, I wanted to put some effort into it. So I looked up this thing called a watermelon monster and, um, it's not anything too crazy difficult to do, but you take a watermelon and you, uh, you know, scoop out most of the inside and kind of carve a, a, a monster mouth into this watermelon. And then you make all this fruit come out out of the mouth of the watermelon. The way I describe it, it sounds pretty awful, but it was cool. I have, uh, I took pictures of it. It's not like a, a thing that's normal for me to make something that cool. My point in saying this, because you're probably thinking, what on earth is she talking about? This has nothing to do with SEO, is that um, I went to Pinterest for those results, uh, for those pictures, because when I was looking at um, other people's websites on like what you could do with watermelon, there were websites like, uh, I want to say Martha Stewart, but it probably wasn't Martha Stewart's website. Uh, but in that vein, somebody who is just a god at cooking and organizing and creating fantastic things. And I'm sure this has happened to you before where you look at something and you're like, yeah, I could do that. And then you make it and it looks absolutely nothing like what Martha Stewart made. Well, Pinterest, um, in my opinion, gives us more real life expertise. And what I was looking for is like normal people like myself uh, who don't have incredible skill in working with watermelons. Uh, what could they create now? Um, that type of post seems to be doing well with this May core update. Now, it's not like we're saying that Google has uh, made it so that anybody with that says, yeah, I personally did this can outrank an authoritative website. Uh, rather, what we think is happening is that if I do a search for something like I, I haven't done this actual search, but like how to make a watermelon monster, um, I might still see some authoritative 
cooking websites. I might still see Martha Stewart there, but in the midst of those results, I may see a Pinterest or maybe a smaller named blogger who actually has incredible content on this topic. So we think that Google um, sort of combined the two, that they, they got better at determining the relevancy of certain posts. Now, let's say you were in that space where you had a blog where you talk about watermelon monsters, and maybe you've done um, a roundup where you're like, all right, look, here's Martha Stewart's recipe. Here's this, you know, all recipes has this and all these famous sites have uh, these and, and we've collected them and we've put them together in this post. Now that could be helpful, but in doing so, you're not demonstrating your own expertise. You're demonstrating that you're very good at putting information together. And that can be a good thing, but it may not necessarily represent what a searcher is looking for. So we believe that in some cases, Google's figured out that um, uh, they can understand when it is that a user is potentially looking for uh, personal experience that comes through in, in writing a post. Another interesting thing that has been noted by a few people is that with this May update, a lot of social sites are seeing uh, improved rankings. Um, and so, uh, and same thing with forums. There are a lot of forums. I know uh, SEMrush did their study of winners and losers, which is always tricky. Uh, Dr. Pete had a really good post about why these winner and loser posts can be hard to interpret because, you know, uh, one site that was listed as a major winner on May 5th uh, was actually only a winner because they had a hit on May 4th um, and so and then saw some recovery May 5th uh, and who knows if that's even connected to the algorithm update. So SEMrush though, uh, I, I still think there's value in these posts. I just think we can't take them you know as blanket black and white. Uh, oh all community or all uh, forum sites are improved or anything like that. They actually saw that communities, so talking about forum sites uh, and other discussion type websites, uh, were one of the biggest winners in this update, but they were also one of the biggest losers in this update. And that makes sense if you think of Google trying better to understand content because uh, they could do a better job at figuring out that, all right, the stuff that people are talking about in this forum uh, is really just a bunch of people trolling, you know, maybe they're complaining at each other, maybe they're swearing at each other. Um, whereas maybe on this site, it's people actually giving real life experience that's helpful. Um, so, you know, it, it's interesting to see that. I feel like there's more investigation that needs to be done there. Um, I'm not sure if we have any current clients that are uh, in that space uh, in terms of having a community or a forum. I do believe we have a few. So it'll be interesting for me to look at that and see. Now, if you have a forum, it might be interesting to, to look and see whether uh, we have seen it happen sometimes where uh, it, let's say Google finds your forum uh, low quality because maybe you've got unmoderated posts. Maybe you've got a lot of posts that are ranking that have a question, but there's no answer to the post, uh, things like that. Um, if you're seeing that your forum traffic is, uh, you know, hit much strongly, more strongly than the rest of your site, it can be that greatly cleaning up the forum can help you improve the rankings of your entire site. Um, and so what you may want to do is start looking at 
things like, all right, so we used to rank for, you know, this particular query, and now we don't rank for that query anymore. Um, so let's see who is ranking. And, and really honestly tell yourself, uh, is this post more helpful? than what's on my website. And this is a situation where uh, we've been saying this for a while now, but it really would be a good thing to have user testing because you can look at your own posts and they always look good. <laughs> you know, maybe not always, but uh, you, you see stuff in your posts because you have this idea that like, hey, maybe if we organize things in this way, it's going to be helpful to people. And um, you know, so to you, that's a helpful thing. And you can look at your post and say, hey, we have these things all organized really great. Uh, so so of course our our content is more valuable whereas an actual user might say well you know what it's nice to have it organized but this article over here actually has more information or does a better job at actually answering my question um, other people are saying about the May update that uh, Google turned up the dial on authority I'm not sure that I completely believe that um, Google's document on how they fight disinformation tells us that uh, wherever possible for a YMYL query, they want to prefer ranking an authoritative website. And that's why uh, if I type in a medical query, even if it's a query that's like kind of new and maybe Google, you know, doesn't know whether uh, if I do a search for can, you know, some special herb cure coronavirus uh, and probably the answer is no. But if let's say Mayo Clinic has an article about this herb plus coronavirus, Google has enough trust in a site like the Mayo Clinic to say, look, when they're writing on a medical topic, we trust them. And even, you know, I, I believe in the past, it's not like they parsed every word of an article to say, yep, this is good advice. It's not going to hurt anybody. Let's go ahead and rank this. Rather, they would say, well, this comes from the Mayo Clinic. And we trust that they're authoritative enough in terms of uh, medicine that um, if they write something on this topic, it's going to be good. Now, uh, that's still happening. That still for for many, many queries, we believe that Google is ranking is preferring to rank the authoritative websites. Uh, and if you're seeing a drop in rankings and now everybody who's ranking above you is this giant authoritative site that could possibly be what's happening with that said though we feel like Google has um, allowed a couple of less authoritative sites to enter into many of these SERPs and these would be sites that talk about firsthand expertise I you know if you're listening to this and you've seen a drop especially if you're a local small business um, I would really encourage you to uh, start talking about your firsthand expertise and see if that helps with a future update. We have a client who is a surgeon and their particular area of surgery is something that is, it's not covered by insurance. It's a, it's something that people pay a lot of money for. Um, and this client is absolutely, it's probably our best success story in terms of a site that is uh, doing really well with this May core update. And every single post of his that is uh, ranking against the giants in terms of medical sites uh, is a post that says, look, in our practice, this is what we see. If you're looking for side effects of this particular surgery or how to recover after this particular surgery, um, all of his posts are talking about, look, in our real life experience, this is what we've seen amongst our clients. And so if I'm somebody who's considering getting that type of surgery, 
I can read the Mayo Clinic. I can read WebMD. I can read, you know, those places that Google seems to trust. And that's still good information. I can read that the common side effects are blah, blah, blah. But it's also very, very helpful to me to read from an actual surgeon who sees this type of thing day in and day out. And for the surgeon to say, look, the side effects that I see are this. And we don't see this too commonly. Uh, and when we see this, this is really serious and you should go to the hospital. Like things like that are incredibly valuable to people. So I would encourage you to start putting an element of expertise in there. Let's say uh, we saw a lot of legal sites that saw drops. Um, we did have some legal clients that actually saw nice improvements, um, but several uh, legal sites actually saw declines with this core update. And um, I'd love to uh, have some of these uh, lawyers um, start writing more about their personal experience. So it's one thing to say, you know, if you are looking for a personal injury lawyer and, um, you know, here's what a personal injury lawyer can do for you. I think that Google would probably reward content that says, look, we're personal injury lawyers and here's the type of case we take and here's the type of outcome that we've had. Uh, and I know there are restrictions for what you can say, but um, I think that if you focus more on telling people not like, hey, we're so awesome and here's why, but rather here's what we do and here's our experience in doing this, that you're gonna see some improvements. Um, a lot of the lawyers sites that saw declines, I don't think they were seeing declines because the site is necessarily bad. Uh, what we're finding is that a lot of these sites that saw declines are being um, outranked by aggregator sites. So for example, if I do a search for uh, attorneys in New York City, I haven't done this search, uh, but I'm guessing that if I did it, I would see sites like Find Law and Justia. Um, and uh, you know, there's, there's sites that have, uh, I think Avo is another one that have um, directory aggregators basically saying, look, if you're looking for attorneys in New York City, here's a list of like 10 attorneys that have good reviews in New York City. That's going to be really hard to outrank if you are an individual lawyer in New York City. And we believe that that's because um, Google is determining the relevancy that as a searcher, when I do a search for attorneys in NYC, I'm not looking to see who Google ranks number one. Rather, I'm looking to see, uh, I'm trying to make a decision. I'm trying to decide who am I going to hire. And it makes sense that I actually want to see a list of multiple attorneys. This would be interesting. I, I don't know uh, if this would actually work, but um, I, I've mentioned this a few times on podcast uh, that um, I believe Will Reynolds talk, talked about this at a conference about how HubSpot used to wanted to rank for best CRM software. And they were finding that all of the posts at that time that were ranking for that term were lists of companies. Uh, and so what they did was they created their own list of the best CRM software and they ranked themselves number two, which I think was a strategic move uh, to inspire trust in people. They put themselves just slightly behind one of their competitors. Um, and you know what happened was their post uh, was ranking really well. I, I don't think it currently ranks. Um, I'm not sure where the landscape is on that now. But um, you could try this. You know, you could make uh, an article of, look, here's uh, our city's top 10 lawyers and what we think about them. You know, and, and if I was doing that, 
I would make it very uplifting and say like, look, this person is so skilled in divorce law or like this person's really skilled in this type of law. And we really appreciated that. And by the way, if you're looking for this type of law service, we'd recommend ourselves. I, I think it's something that potentially could rank, but um, but it would take some testing to figure out. Uh, and I mean, obviously, there's risks that go with that uh, when you start writing about your colleagues, uh, especially for attorneys, right? Um, I'm sure they wouldn't get upset at each other. Well, let's see. What else can we uh, we say here? Um, I think I'm going to leave it at that for the May core update. I've been going on for quite a while on that. Again, we have more information in newsletter. You can find newsletter at mariehaines.com slash newsletter. Um, and if you're a paid member, which at this point it's $18 a month, there is loads of information uh, about what we're seeing um, regarding the May core update. So this is definitely a big update. Uh, I think it's just as big as the medic update in 2018. Uh, and there's a lot more analysis that we have to do uh, coming up. Um, I want to announce, although I can't, uh, I can't give you all the details right now, but we're going to have a guest on podcast uh, in the next couple of weeks. And we're just sort of finalizing all the paperwork and stuff now. But if you could think of like, who would I want? I've never had a guest on podcast. Who would I want to interview? There's one person that would be like the person I would want to interview the most for this podcast, and that's who it is. So I'm going to leave you in suspense. But if you follow our um, MHC Inc. Twitter account, uh, they're going to be announcing it pretty soon. And I'll, I'm really hyped about this. It's uh, it's going to be such a great conversation. I'll give you more details next week on uh, on who we're having come with us. Um, starting in August, Chrome is going to start blocking resource heavy ads. This is going to be like as the page loads, it sounds like um, Chrome's going to move to limit the resources that certain types of ads can use before a user interacts with them. Uh, and so I'm not sure what exactly the limit is. I believe it's, uh, let's see, four megabytes of network data um, over a certain period of time. Once that limit's been reached, then uh, the ad frame will basically show you an error page uh, saying that this ad is taking too many resources. So um, that's something to pay attention to. We have stuff in newsletter about how to determine whether that's happening for you. Uh, Google has given some documentation to us on handling heavy ad interventions. Uh, and so if you are an ad heavy site, this is something you really, really want to pay attention to. Uh, and really, if you have ads that are taking up that much, uh, that many resources, uh, then you're probably annoying your users and you don't want to be doing that. It, there's always such a fine line between monetization and user experience. And I understand that websites need ads. Uh, there are very few people that run a website just for the fun of it. <laughs> you know, we run websites so that we can make money. Uh, and But we have to find the right balance of not annoying our users. Um, I live in a rural area that has horrible internet. Uh, we have less than four megabytes per second download uh, today, which is just brutal. I think it's about 1.2. Um, and so there are certain websites that I can't go to when I'm at home because uh, they're too ad heavy. And so um, that's really, really important. And Google wants to make it, or at least Chrome wants to make it so that we're not being, we're not using all of our mobile data on ads. We're not using all of our data on stuff that people don't tend to really want to see. Um, Google announced that there's support now for guided recipes. 
Uh, I haven't used these. I'm assuming this is um, a thing that would work with a Google Assistant or like a Google Home or something like that, um, where uh, the the assistant can walk you through a recipe. Sounds interesting. If you run a recipe site, that's something that I would uh, recommend checking out. So this is an interesting discussion uh, about whether you need text on a page in order to rank. Um, one of the things that a lot of people were seeing with this core update is that some pages that are uh, ranking well and that seem to be benefiting from this update are pages that have very little text on them. Uh, and again, we talked about Pinterest earlier on. Um, and I believe that Google just, again, got better at figuring out that like, okay, even though this particular article is not 5,000 words long, it doesn't cover every aspect of a story, it still answers the particular question that somebody came to that site to answer. Um, and so let's see here. Uh, Glenn Gabe tweeted, it's about intent and value to the user. If the content can meet or exceed user expectations, then it's not thin. Think about any site showcasing images, video, or other content that might not require a lengthy article or post. And somebody was asking John Mueller about whether... Um, uh, whether uh, Pinterest, you know, has some sort of relationship with Google because they're doing so well with this update. Here's John's response, which is very interesting. I'd argue there's a lot of content on Pinterest. Even if it's not a collection of a 3,000 word blog posts, sometimes images, even with minimal textual content, can be exactly what people are looking for. Not always, and sometimes we get it wrong, but it's certainly an option. So, um, uh, you know, again, I think this is connected to just Google getting better able to understand uh, relevancy, to understand when a particular user is maybe looking for something that is image heavy. If you take my example of this watermelon monster that I wanted to create, I don't think a 5,000 word blog post would have been more valuable than a collection of images for me in that situation. Uh, so that's something to think about. Um, you know, I, we, we have preached in the past that it's better to have more content than less. Um, and I don't think Google is demoting sites. Like, I don't think they're saying, oh my goodness, this site has like thousands and thousands of words that nobody's ever going to read. Although they, they do, uh, if that content is SEO content. John has mentioned that several times that e-commerce uh, pages that have SEO content. We've written about that in newsletter, but like the type of content where, you know, if you have a sales page for school desks and uh, the, the, the content that's at the bottom of your product page uh, is saying, are you looking for a school desk? Our school desks are the best school desk of their kind. Um, and, you know, most of you who have what I would call SEO content, it's not as overtly obvious as that. Uh, but um, that type of content can potentially be penalized for, or at least make your page look lower quality. We've had success with some clients in removing that type of content and replacing it with actual uh, great content that's broken up with headers, um, and stuff that people would legitimately read, that can help. The point I'm trying to make here, though, is that it doesn't always need a crazy number of words in order for something to be valuable and helpful to people. This was an interesting couple of tweets from Gary Ish from Google. Um, he was talking about index selection. So basically, we've been talking for months now about how Google uh, will sometimes not 
index content if uh, they see that it's lower quality. So here's a quote from Gary on Twitter. He says, index selection, while it's largely about RAM, flash, or disk space, it's tightly tied to the quality of content. If we have tons of free space available, we're more likely to index crappier content. If we don't, we might de-index stuff to make space higher for higher quality docs. Um, and then Jose Revolta asked uh, Gary, does this happen regularly or periodically? Like, does Google go through this bulk de-indexing? Which, you know, that would kind of make sense because we saw several times in the last year where uh, Google just suddenly dropped a whole bunch of the index. Uh, and who knows? Maybe it's connected to this. And Gary's response was to say it's incremental. So what do we do with that? Like, I don't think there's anything concrete that we can come up with and say, well, you know, you should be doing this other than uh, the advice that we've always given is if something is in Google's index, you want it to be the best of its kind. Uh, and again, we've had uh, one of our clients that did really well with this Maycore update. Uh, we've been working really hard on no indexing thin content. We've made uh, a whole system now where we have a bunch of metrics that we look at and those metrics can vary depending on the site that we're dealing with, but things like, are people actually engaging with this page? Does this page have links to it? Uh, is this page essentially the same as something else that you've already got on your website? Um, and we go through you know, a great number of factors to try to figure out whether it actually makes sense to have that in the index. So one of our clients that um, one of my auditors, Dylan, has been working really, really hard on uh, helping them trim up thin content is really improving now with this update. The thing is, though, they've also been working on other things and some other content that is ranking extremely well is medical content that is firsthand expertise written by medical doctors. Uh, and so that could be the main reason why they've improved. Uh, but it's never a bad thing to clean up. Uh, well, I should you know, that's not true. I was going to say it's never a bad thing to clean up thin content. It can be if you don't do it properly. Um, I've seen cases where people have just chosen very arbitrary metrics like we're going to de-index, uh, we're going to remove, we're going to no-index anything prior to 2015. And perhaps you had some fantastic posts in like 2014 that had really good links. And if you no-index those, then uh, goodbye to those links. So you, you can't just go and willy-nilly trim out thin content. But if you really take the time to do it well, it sometimes can make a big difference. So, um, you know, and that makes sense. Like, I, I don't know if Google's only got a certain amount of indexing space for each site, uh, but if Google has said, look, we're gonna give you X amount of space and you've got like 90% of that is taken up with just crappy content that nobody's ever gonna wanna land on, um, you might see improvements by making that a smaller number and making it so that instead of 10% of your content being incredibly awesome, uh, you would find that, you know, maybe 80% of your content is incredibly awesome. And uh, that's the type of case where we feel like we've seen nice improvements with core updates. Um, somebody was asking uh, a question about uh, a Google News site that was getting indexed with the wrong meta descriptions and the wrong titles uh, for their posts. And this was interesting because Danny Sullivan replied saying, 
that it was happening because of infinite scroll. So most of you know the infinite scroll is just like it sounds as a user scrolls, uh, new content loads. And what happens on a lot of news sites is uh, the new, the, you read the article and then they want you to keep reading. So they basically infinite scroll a new article underneath uh, with a new title tag and a new, um, you know, a, a new meta description. And, and that's apparently what, uh, so Danny actually said, this is happening because we can have issues with pages that use infinite scroll and load new stories after someone reads the first one. This can cause us to index both the main story and append to it any additional stories that are loaded dynamically as someone scrolls. And that's actually really interesting because there was another thing. It was later on in my podcast uh, notes here, but I'm going to get to it now. Um, let's see here. Oh, right. Where... Somebody asked John Mueller in a uh, Google Hangout uh, about a page that accidentally had two meta descriptions and two titles on it, um, or maybe it was part of a test or something like that. And uh, John actually said that Google would treat those the same as if you just extended the existing meta tag on the page. So like, let's say you had a title tag that said, this article is about X. And then you later on in the page, you had another title tag that said, is why good for people? Well, Google could potentially grab both of those and say, this article is about X, is why good for people as the title tag. Um, so that's really interesting. And I think that's what's happening with this uh, infinite scroll situation. So if you ever have a situation where Google is displaying the wrong title tag or the wrong meta description uh, for your site, this could be why. Although sometimes Google just decides to rewrite those things for you anyways. Uh, they can rewrite it if they feel like um, rewriting it would be a better match for the user's query. So having your titles rewritten isn't necessarily always a bad thing. Uh, but if Google is consistently rewriting your titles, it could be that maybe they're spammy or maybe Google just doesn't feel like they're valuable. Um, there's been some talk this week about user-generated content, and John Mueller reminded people that Google doesn't differentiate the content you wrote and the content users wrote on your site. So um, I'm thinking, for example, and I'm sure Barry won't mind me saying this, I'm thinking of Barry Schwartz's site. Uh, Barry told us that Search Engine Roundtable actually did not do well with the May Core update. Now, we have several thoughts as to why that has happened. I mean, Barry has a fantastic site and it's very valuable uh, to me. But often what I find is that um, I'll go to Barry's site to find a link to another site. <laughs> and really it was the other site that I wanted to find. And, and you know, I think, I think Barry knows that. Uh, but one of the things that could be judged on Barry's site is his comments section. Now, I don't envy the guy trying to go through these comments. Like the people who comment on Barry's site, some some of them are pretty nasty. Uh, and there can be comments about SEO that are just downright awful. Uh, and I know he does, he works really hard to um, moderate those comments. But let's say he's got a blog post that's like 300 words on a particular Google update or something. And then there are 8,000 words of comments of people saying, you suck, Barry, you know, stuff like that. Well, those are all considered part of the content. Now, I'm not sure about this, actually. I should check. Probably Barry's using a, a UGC tag um, that we can tell Google that this is user-generated content. Uh, although, hmm, 
I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's something to think about anyhow. If you have a comment section, Gary Ish told us uh, a couple of years ago that they actually, you know, are seen as high quality. If you have a good comment section, that can help improve your rankings. If you have unmoderated comments, uh, then you might, might want to take time to go through those and develop a system for moderating them. Um, the reason why I'm hesitating on this UGC thing here is rel equals UGC is meant to describe links, um, not necessarily chunks of content, as far as I can understand. I'm going to do some more reading into this. I'm wondering if you can mark a whole chunk of content to say, look, Everything in this comment section is UGC. I think you can, but I don't know if Google would treat that as, uh, okay, we're not going to pay attention to it in terms of quality for the page because those are still words on the page. Um, and, you know, I don't know. It's interesting. Anyways, I think if you have a comment section, then you should be paying attention to uh, moderating it for sure. Um, John Mueller was also asked recently how long it takes for Google to revisit a 410 error page. Uh, most of you probably know 404 is what we tend to use for page not found. 404 technically means that the page is temporarily gone, whereas a 410 error means that it's permanently gone. Um, and so Google will take longer to return. They still do. Like, let's say, uh, you know, a particular page on my site, uh, I decided to get rid of it and I added, I made it a 410 error. Um, but let's say people have been linking to that. As Google crawls those links, they're going to periodically come up uh, on this 410 page. Um, John didn't give us an answer, uh, that, but it, it can take a long time. For Google to revisit those. Uh, so keep that in mind. If you are removing a page that you think is going to come back at some point, you should probably serve a 404 rather than a 410. Um, another thing too, that if you're using URL parameters, I think this is common sense. Don't go overboard. Um, uh, Glenn Gabe pulled this out of a help hangout that, uh, you know, there's a site that has like a hundred plus parameters in their URL uh that you can see in GSC. And uh, John said that seems like way too big of a number, maybe a few dozen at the most is what he said. So uh, be careful in using parameters. Don't get too complicated with them. Um, well, let's see what else we can talk about here. Uh, apparently there was some issue with Google Search Console, the performance report for Google Discover. Uh, for data that was collected between May 12th and May 25th. So if you have lost a lot of Google Discover traffic, which is really hard to measure because it's so sporadic. I think uh, one of our blog posts was, uh, it made it to Google Discover. Um, and, and uh, you know, we had a big spike in traffic from that. And then we had nothing. Uh, does that mean that, you know, all of a sudden we have quality issues? No, I, I think whatever, it was probably the blog post about the Maycore update uh, that people found interesting. So um, if you are missing data between May 12th and May 25th, May 25th, that hasn't even happened yet. Huh. I don't know if that's a mistake or if they're like, hey, we have a problem and we're going to continue to have a problem, but the problem's going to be over on May 25th. Just know there's some issues with uh, reporting Google Discover traffic in Google Search Console. 
Um, there also are some reports just today, so this is Wednesday, May 20th, of uh, people having issues with the URL inspection tool uh, being down in Search Console. Um, I had issues with it earlier today. I was trying to use it to analyze a, a particular page that had actually seen improvements in the in the the core update and uh, I could not get the URL inspection tool to work uh, but I have other people reporting now that it's fixed so if you were struggling with that uh, you should be able to go back and and do your research now um, let's do a little bit of local SEO news. Really, I'm going to report about the same as I have for the last couple of weeks. Um, there are some reviews that are uh, trickling back into Google My Business. Not all of those reviews are sending out emails. So if you, it's probably a good idea to keep an eye on your Google My Business listing uh, just to see if you're if you have any reviews that potentially need responding to. Um, and so. Uh, uh, Bright Local, the rank flux tool that uh, measures fluctuation in the local rankings is showing a little bit of fluctuation this week, mostly though in bars and pubs, restaurants, cafes, hotels, and things like that. Um, that's probably more a factor of the fact that uh, people are starting to go outside more now, uh, and some places of the world are relaxing in terms of social distancing, and so uh, that could probably impact the the rankings for local businesses as well. Um, let's see what else we can. Oh, as for some businesses now, you can add uh, secondary hours to your Google My Business listing. So if you have hours that are specific to drive-through times, hours for seniors, I know in our area, uh, like Costco is open at from seven to eight a.m. for seniors, um, which is uh, <laughs> my husband is. Uh, uh, <laughs> He's a bit older than me, and I, I we just laugh because now he's apparently a senior, and he gets to go to Costco at the seven o'clock hour. So, um, yeah, so you can add senior hours, delivery hours, visiting hours, takeout hours, and also pickup hours. Um, so if that's something that you have added to your business because of social distancing and and us, uh, you know, taking care because of coronavirus, uh, you can now add those secondary hours to your Google My Business uh, profile. Um, Somebody was asking John Mueller whether uh, a loss in Google My Business data is connected with the May Core update. It's important to know that um, the May Core update was about organic search and not the local or the maps uh, listings. And so John actually said uh, the changes in search from a core update wouldn't affect the availability of data in Google My Business. If you're seeing changes there, he recommends reaching out to the Google My Business help forum. Um, so yeah, it's not something that I've noted, but uh, if you do do a lot of work with local clients, that could be something that um, is worth paying attention to. I think we'll end this with uh, an interesting kind of light Q&A question. Uh, if you wanna ask me a question about SEO, um, you can do that at any episode of podcast, again, mariehaines.com slash newsletter. And uh, near the top of each episode, there's a form you can fill out to ask me a question. And uh, ideally, I like answering questions about EAT and link quality. But uh, if I think I can tackle it, I'll, I'm happy to handle any other question. I, I mentioned last week, too, if you want to pop in uh, a question about, hey, why is this website outranking me? Uh, that's the type of thing I like to look at as well. Um, this is a great question, though, by Nina Steinberger. Uh, she says, during these crazy times, a lot of people are spending most of their time at home and online. 
Now many people have the time to realize their personal projects and take the time to start a small business. Therefore, most of them will need websites. My question is, when creating an SMB website from scratch, what are your essential tips and things to consider to set up your page in the most SEO friendly way from the very beginning? So this is great. And I think if you're at home and have extra time, you know, this is the time to work on a project like this. I say if, because I'm getting people all the time that are emailing me and calling me saying like, hey, seeing as you have all this extra time, why don't you come hang out in this chat? Or why don't you like be a part of our virtual conference? And and I don't have extra time. I, I find with the coronavirus, and, and maybe it's because we're blessed enough to have a business that's actually still functioning. Um, and even though we were impacted by what's happening in, in the world, uh, it's nowhere near as bad as some of the other businesses. So, um, but many of you I know are out of work or, um, uh, you know, just have less work now because you're, you're, you're at home. Um, so, if you've been thinking about creating a business, my first advice would be just do it. Uh, when I first got into this, uh, my apologies if you've heard this story before, but I uh, used to be a veterinarian and I um, really wanted to create a website where people could ask me questions um, and I could give better advice than what was currently online because I would have people come to me all the time and say, oh, I read on the internet that if my dog has fleas, I should give him garlic and that'll kill the fleas. Well, garlic's actually toxic to dogs, and that was the number one answer uh, on Yahoo Answers that was ranking at this time. Um, and so what I did was I actually did uh, an HTML tutorial on about.com. Uh, I don't think I'd recommend doing that for everybody, um, but it really helped me. And I did the whole hello world, you know, like, oh, this is an H2 tag and, and this is in a P tag. And then this is, uh, you know, the head of my document and here's the body of my document. I learned basic HTML this way and I struggled immensely with CSS um, and uh, with the website that I created. It ran off of a database and I had to learn uh, my SQL and then also PHP as well. You don't need to do all those things. Um, you're probably not as crazy as I am in terms of uh, learning new stuff. Um, and so I would say start with, you know, don't worry about having the absolute most robust SEO friendly website that's out there. Um, you can always migrate down the road. That said, though, my own website, I mean, if you go to mariehaines.com, there's so many issues with our site, so many, and we've been working on fixing them throughout the years. We have a brand new site that really is coming very soon. We're just uh, in the final stages of um, figuring out the content. <sighs> so do I regret making my own site? I mean, if I had waited till I had the money to pay somebody uh, thousands of dollars to uh, create a, a, you know, a professional business website, I, I, I wouldn't have one. So my personal blog that I made, uh, it was a theme I bought off of Theme Forest. I think it was the U Design theme. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just did a Theme Forest theme and uh, modified it a bit and made it into my own website. If you're just starting out, you probably don't have the skills in HTT, in uh, HTML and, and PHP in order to modify a WordPress theme. Um, so 
I still think that there's value in website builders like Wix. Uh, I mean, uh, people think that we're like heavily tied to Wix because we won the Wix competition. I, you know, we don't do a lot of work with Wix sites, but you can still do a, a decent uh, basic website with Wix. Um, a lot of Shopify sites are good too. So if you're, uh, you know, trying to sell a product, you have any sort of e-commerce uh, aspect to your business that you're trying to uh, to do, then I would look at Shopify as well. But the uh, first advice I would give is just go out and do it. You you can get lost in paralysis, uh, paralysis of analysis uh, sometimes, where um, you know you might read, you might spend weeks reading, like should I go WordPress? Should I do Wix? Should I do what? Um, just choose one. <laughs> There's very few uh, website builders out there that are not going to allow you to get indexed. Um, and, you know, there are, yes, I mean, there are better options out there, but for somebody who's just starting out, I'd recommend that. Um, the next thing I would do is to start looking at uh, who's currently ranking for the types of topics that you're going to be writing about um, or the type of business that you have. So, uh, you know, if my business, if I wanted to start a business that was a website to tell everybody all the information you can find on COVID-19, I wouldn't recommend that. Um, you know, if, if that's your plan, uh, you've are, you're going to be fighting against massive authorities. You're going to be fighting against medical authorities and also um, uh, news authorities, you know, so if uh, CNN, you know, has a post on what's going on with coronavirus, like you're not going to be a brand new blogger that's going to start outranking them. Okay. Uh, and if that's your, you know, if your business model involves, I had somebody reach out to me, this was years ago and was like, look, we have this huge budget for SEO and we want to create a bank. <laughs> and like, there's only so many banks in the world. And even with, with good SEO, like you can't just make a bank and, and SEO it to the top. You have to legitimately be an authority in order to have a bank. Probably what you're trying to do, uh, Nina, is not create a new bank or create a new Walmart or you know somebody to uh, compete against Amazon, um, something like that. So you want to be sure that who's currently ranking for your topics. Um, now, don't say like, oh, I could never beat them because, you know, they've been around for 10 years or something like that. Um, there are some smaller blogs that don't do a great job in terms of delivering content and you can still beat them. Um, and again, like if you had told me uh, 10 years ago that <clears throat> I'd have a, a website that ranks against some of the top authorities in SEO, uh, you know, I, I would have been like, no, no, that's not possible. So how did that happen? How did I, uh, you know, how am I able to rank on some of these authoritative terms? And this is where it comes to EAT. So whatever your topic is, you need to have some level of expertise in that topic. Um, you need to be able to talk about it in a way uh, where you can be you can come across as authoritative. Um, again, like if I wanted to write, uh, you know, make a website to tell you how to trade Bitcoin, I could do all the research in the world, but I have no personal experience with that and I'm not going to do a good job. And I'm not Google. There's no way that I'm going to be able to convince Google that my content is better than somebody who does this day in and day out. So um, you need to be doing something where you have some expertise, in my opinion. There are people out there who have successful websites where they don't have expertise, but it's challenging, especially if you're just starting out. So then you start thinking about, well, how do I build my EAT? And some of it is just getting mentioned in places. Uh, 
I'll let you in on a, a little secret here. I, I don't know if this will happen, but if I did have spare time, my girls and I want to create a website to talk about Fortnite content. Um, so I play a ton of Fortnite. My girls play Fortnite and, you know, there was an update today. I'd love to have a website where we just like share with everybody. Oh, there was an update today. Here's what you need to know. Um, and here's some tips for this and that, and especially tips for parents who are struggling with kids that, you know, maybe want to play too much Fortnite or, or something like that. I know I'm rambling here. My point is I'm subconsciously kind of building up EAT, um, by, making a name for myself in communities that talk about Fortnite. So I'm in Reddit and I'm sharing my experiences and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what is it that gets me karma in Reddit when I talk about Fortnite. And I know that sounds silly, but I'm trying to figure out what is it that I can produce that people find valuable. Um, and then I tweet stuff about, Hey, I played Fortnite. I won this game, you know? And so let's say I did, I, I, I think I'm, I'm probably not going to be doing this, but let's say I did create a website all about Fortnite content. Well, then what I want to do is actually get mentioned in the news or mentioned, um, in authoritative gaming websites, uh, you know, do some podcasts about like, what's it like being a mom, uh, who plays Fortnite? Um, you know, what are the tournaments like? I, uh, I placed in the top 30% of a cash cup uh, last week, which I'm really, really proud of. Um, and so but my point is you need to get mentioned in other places. And if you can't think of a single way how an authoritative website would mention you, then it's going to be a struggle. So that's something I would be thinking of as well. And then the next thing I would do is look at the content that's currently ranking and ask if you could legitimately make something that's better. Uh, because we see this all the time. People produce the same stuff that's already out there. If you want to produce a recipe site, you know, let's say you're really good at making cookies and you want to make this recipe site all about cookies. Well, there's already very many websites out there that talk about cookies. So you need to find a way to get established as like, this is way better than any other website that talks about cookies. And that's no easy task because you're you're fighting against companies with millions of dollars of budget to prove to prove to people that they're the best option uh, for 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 ranking. So that can be tricky, too. So I don't mean to be discouraging. I do think like when I first started talking about making a veterinary website and all the forums I went in, people just were so mean and they said, no, no, you're a vet. Go hire somebody like don't try to do the SEO's work. You wouldn't try to do your own plumbing, would you? And, you know, to some degree, that's true. But I mean, it worked for me. <laughs> so go out there and create something. Have fun. Uh, definitely set up Google Search Console and Google Analytics right away. They're both completely free. And so uh, that's something that there's no reason not to have that on your site. Um, and then once Search Console starts giving you some data to say like, oh, you're actually starting to rank for this. And here's the keywords that people are using. And you can start tweaking your content. So let's say I, you see that one of your posts is ranking for this particular phrase. Maybe you're ranking on page two, but you actually haven't covered that phrase in great detail then you can add some content to that post for that phrase. Hopefully that makes sense. So I'm not sure if that fully answered your question. Um, I do think that uh, this is a great time to be working on a side project and, um, you know, focus on high quality content. Uh, if your goal is to like create the same as everybody else and then just build links, 
that's old style SEO. And that, you know, we really think I haven't talked about this in this episode, but I really think that Google um, has gotten way better at determining which links to count. Uh, and so the links that really matter now are ones where people are like, wow, your content's so good, or you're so good, or we have so much, um, we love so much what you say that whenever you write something, we want to link to it. Uh, and if you can't get that kind of link, um, it's going to be challenging. So hopefully that's helped. I, I would love to hear what project you're working on. And uh, um, if you have other questions about it, then come back and ask another question, because I think other people would be interested uh, in hearing how that's going for you as well. Um, so I think we'll end there. I really hope that you're faring okay, both with this update and also with what's going on in the world right now. Um, in our part of the world, you know, they're talking about uh, letting people go back to work and we're, we're going to hang off and work remotely until we really feel like it's safe for everybody. Um, and it's challenging. It's challenging working all on your own uh, when we're used to having an office full of happy, joyful, laughing people. Um, but thank goodness for uh, Slack and Zoom and we're managing. So uh, again, I wish you the best of luck with your rankings and uh, have a fantastic week. 